Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. I'll be hearing God's Word this morning from Genesis chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 27. And so uh, we, were, we were going through Genesis back in the fall, through up through the middle of December. We took a break for a couple weeks, uh, Christmas and New Year, do something a little different. But now... We return uh, to Genesis. And as uh, we were saying during the season of Advent and the promises of God found in Genesis chapter 6 through 10 that were very appropriate for Advent, uh, Genesis chapter 11 is really very appropriate for the season of Epiphany. Uh, For the season of Epiphany about the nations coming to worship the King Jesus, Genesis chapter 11 is about how the nations got to be the nations in the first place. Um, It is a story that is familiar Uh, To many, this is the story of the Tower of Babel, but of course it wouldn't be Genesis if we didn't follow up the Tower of Babel with a list of names and ages, uh, which we will will read right through them, um, because God put them there for some reason. I'm not committing to that all the time, by the way. There's some long, long lists. But at least for now, we will read names and ages as God has put them in his word. So as you listen this morning, I want you to listen and think, what, what is this for us? So this is the story of a tower and some builders and how God made confused languages. So, okay, this is how we got lots of languages in the world. But what does this tell us about God and what does it mean for us today? So now I'll read Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 27. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come. Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. These are the generations of Shem, When Shem was a hundred years old, he fathered Arpashad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpashad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpashad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpashad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Pelech. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ru. Peleg lived after he fathered Ru 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ru had lived 32 years, he fathered Sarag. And Ru lived after he fathered Sarag 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarag had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Sarag lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. 
When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the parts that make sense. We thank you for the parts that are hard to understand. We pray now that as we reflect on these words together, that these would be your words for us this morning, that you would take this word and by the power of your spirit, would you sink it deep into us, that it would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we live. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So about, uh, gosh, this was now, this was in 2008, so this was almost 15 years ago, 14 and a half years ago, uh, my family, we were moving from California to St. Louis. And as part of this move, my father and I drove all the way across the country from California to, to Virginia. And there I picked up Suzanne and two of the boys who were born at that time, and we drove back to St. Louis. It was quite the summer of driving. But one of the things that we reflected on as we drove all the way across the country through California, Nevada, Utah, or Utah uh, Colorado, Kansas, Missouri, going right across the middle of the country, is that there is a lot of empty space in the United States of America. And we said, you know, when people worry about the country filling up, there is plenty of room to go. Well, it turns out that we were not the first ones to think that. That in the second half of the 1800s, many settlers coming from the east also thought, wow, there's a lot of space out here in the Great Plains. And so with the encouragement of the U.S. government, they, they started to fill them up. And they, they, put out, they did the Homestead Act, they started giving out large farms, and they encouraged more and more settlers to move out to the plains. And they discovered that in the plains in Oklahoma and North Texas, and all these places, that the land was really good, and that they could farm this. And they, if they plowed it up and they used modern technology, they could produce lots and lots of crops. And so that's what they did. They produced lots and lots of crops. It was great human ingenuity. How many of you know where this story is going? When they filled the Midwest or the, the, the Great Plains with lots and lots of crops. And then the 1930s came. And in the 1930s, there was a drought for years and years. And all that they had done to turn the land, to strip the topsoil, to farm lots and lots of crops, turned into dust. Great clouds of dust that billowed all the way across the Great Plains, what they called the black blizzards of dust that would fill up cities that traveled as far as Chicago and New York, coating even New York with clouds of dust having been blown from the plains, the Great Dust Bowl, which then led to migration of people away from that, was part of the Depression, was part of the general, all these problems. What's the story of the Dust Bowl for us? It's, it's human, and of course, there are a lot of factors in the Dust Bowl. That's a simplified, simplified version of the story. But there's a part of it that all agree that as a story of human ingenuity does not always work out the way that we think. That as humans, we always have the next great idea, whether it's advances in farming technology, whether it's nuclear power and all the good that can come from that, Whatever, whether it's going to, who knows what will happen with our efforts to return to the moon and go on to Mars. All the ways that we could change the climate to protect against climate change. And yet we know from so many of these examples throughout history that it is very, very difficult for humans to foresee all possibilities. So what, what then does the Dust Bowl and does human achievement have to do with the Tower of Babel? 
One of the things that's fascinating as you look at this story is first that it's, it's very short. And if you were mostly familiar with this story from, say, children's Bibles, you'll realize that your average children's Bible takes many more words to tell the story of Babel than are actually here. But as we look closely at the words that are here, what is the problem with the Tower of Babel? It seems like a perfectly, you know, why, why not build the tower? What is wrong with, human building ta- with humans building towers? But we can see in verse 4 what the problem is. In verse 4, what did they say to build the tower? Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. At first glance, that might not seem even that bad. Okay, what, so what's the problem? There's two problems here. The problem is that they should not be seeking to make a name for themselves. The mission of humans is to reflect the image of God. That's what we have seen throughout Genesis. We saw it in Genesis chapter 1 when people were created. That's what we see again in Genesis chapter 9 when God made his covenant with Noah after the flood. That human beings are to reflect the image of God. We are not set out to make a name for ourselves. We are set to reflect God's glory. And where are we set to reflect God's glory? We are commanded to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. So their desire, these tower builders' desires to not be dispersed over the face of the whole earth, that was a problem. So that verse gives two things in contradiction to God's mission. But we don't, we don't really know. You know we, don't, we don't really know. Like, did they realize that they were disobeying God? I don't know. We don't get any insight into the heart and mind of the tower builders other than this was their desire, and it was not a godly desire. Whether they knew it, whether they were blatantly opposed to God or just thought this was a good idea, we don't know. But what we do know is that humans have a hard time choosing right. If, if the, what is the problem that is pointed out here in the Tower of Babel story? We don't know what's good for us. They didn't know what was good for them from the Tower of Babel. We don't know what's good for us with our farming technology. We don't know what's good for us with our nuclear technology. We don't know what's good for us with a lot of things. And so the, the message of the, one message of the Tower of Babel is that the danger of human hubris, humans thinking that we can figure these things out, human accomplishment and technology and decision-making is always going to be suspect. So we need to be cautious of that. But the greater message of the Tower of Babel is that God is not silent, is that God will make sure that his plans carry out. Because the real message of the Tower of Babel for us is that whatever humans thought was a good idea, build a great tower with its top in the heavens so that we'll make a name and gather around here, use this new building technology of bricks and bitumen for bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar, all with one language, it all seems great, but God's plans are better. That's the message of the Tower of Babel, that God's plans are better, and that the Tower of Babel gets no more mention than God's plan of the descendants from Shem all the way down to and his sons. That was God's plan, is that the world would go through that line, and he devotes even more space to the descendants of Shem than he does to the tower builders of Babel. So if we see here that God's plans are the best plans, 
What does that mean for us? It's really very simple. What do we do? We want to align ourselves with God's plans. God's plans are the best plans. We must align with him. We can see our three ways that we do that. Three quick ways that we can align ourselves with God's plans based on this text. The first is to seek God's glory. The second is to obey God's commands. And the third is to trust God's promises. Seek God's glory, obey God's commands, trust God's promises. So first we see to seek God's glory. already mentioned this uh, briefly and seeing the problem with it in verse 4, that they were trying to make a name for themselves. And instead, they should have been seeking to reflect the image of God. What was the result of them trying to make a name for themselves? Did you catch what name they ended up with? It's in verse 9. Therefore, its name was called Babel. They sought to make a name for themselves. What name did they end up with? Confusion and disorder. The word, the word for Babel does, in fact, sound like the Hebrew word for confused. It's, it's just like English. Babel is a Babel, just like it is same in Hebrew, same in English. That's the name they ended up with. We don't want that. When we seek our own ways, we end up getting named for our own confusion, our own mistakes. Instead, we want to seek God's glory. What happens when we seek God's glory? We actually, if, you, if you'll allow me to look ahead, to jump ahead briefly, we see a contrast with the Tower of Babel who are trying to make a name for themselves. We go to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God's, God himself calls Abram, the son of Terah, to go somewhere, and he says, I will bless you and make your name great. See, that's the contrast. When we start by following God, God gives us the name that he wants. And so we get this pattern where when we seek God first, when we put God first in our lives, when we seek his glory above all things, it turns out best for us. It turns out best for us because our lives are aligned with God. Because God gives honor to his people. Our des their desire for a name was not fundamentally a bad thing. Their desire to build something was not fundamentally a bad thing. But when we seek names for ourselves in our own way, we seek to build for ourselves in our own way, it ends up in a confused babble. We cannot figure things out. But when we seek God's glory to build his way, then he gives us what we need. He makes things work and he will even give us honor and recognition in the right way, the way that is good for us. So we seek God's glory. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means in everything we do, instead of first asking the question of what do I want, we ask the question, what does God want? Instead of saying even what will take care of my family, how can my family serve God's purposes in the world? Sometimes those things are what we expect. Sometimes those things are not what we expect. But if we always start with the question of what does God want, if we go to him in prayer and sit before him and say, God, show me what you want, he will lead us down the path that is for his glory, which is the path that is best for us. So first, we seek God's glory. Second, we obey God's commands. That was their other mistake. Again, whether they really realized what they were doing or not, they, want, they did not want to be dispersed over the face of the earth. But they were supposed to be dispersed over the face of the earth. What happened to them? We see it in verse 8. 
So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. Again, in the story, it doesn't actually give a lot of details about what happened after. It just goes right away. God said, come, let us go down and confuse their speech. So they were dispersed over the earth. The author moves straight to the point. The point is not exactly how things went down at the city. The point was that God's commands were to be obeyed. And what, and what happened here when they failed to obey God's commands? God made it happen. And so in this, as we seek to obey God's commands, we can be encouraged by the grace of God. Probably did not feel like grace to the builders of the towers that they could not talk to each other anymore and they had to give up on their tower. But it was grace that instead of destroying them for their disobedience and their failure to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, God simply made it happen. He forced them away from one another through their own disobedience. Because this is the grace of God, that he will make his commands to be obeyed. Now, I will tell you that God will always be faithful to lead you in the way of his commands. Your life may feel easier if you just try to obey them from the start. Right? So that's, that's, that's the takeaway here. What can we do when we're stuck in a situation where we, don't, we want to seek God's glory, we don't always know what that looks like? We go back to the basics. What has God told me to do? God has told me to love the people around me. God has told me to think of others more highly than myself. God has told me to put the needs of others before my own. God has told me to be generous with my money and not try to hold on to it for myself. God has told me to tell other people of his love and his truth and his goodness. We start with these simple things. So when I say seek the glory of God, if, you, if your mind goes running to high things, like, I don't know what that looks like in my life. I don't know what God wants me to do. He wants you to love your neighbor. He wants you to love your family. He wants you to be kind and forgiving. And as you start from those things, you will find that those are the ways that God pieces together his glory and his image reflected throughout the earth. We seek God's glory. We obey his command. And finally, we trust his promises. As I mentioned a minute ago, it's fascinating that there are more verses devoted to the descendants of Shem than there are to the story of the Tower of Babel. And why is this? What is the significance? The significance of this is that God is keeping his promise. Why are these genealogies of Genesis so important? This goes back, it's very similar to the genealogy we read in chapter 5. You may have remembered me reading that. You may have thought, really, again, another list of names and ages. But if you look back at it, in Genesis chapter 5, each of the biographies there, the brief biographies, ended with, all his days were so many years, and he died. The message of the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5 was that death reigned from Adam to Noah. The message of, genealogy, of, of the genealogy of chapter 11 is that God's promises are going forth in life. And these promises are the promise that he made way back in chapter 3 when Adam and Eve disobeyed and were sent out of the garden by God. And God, in his punishment to them, he also said that the offspring of the woman would crush the offspring of the serpent. And from that verse, from the importance of the offspring of the woman, we get this focus throughout Genesis on the genealogies. Where is the offspring? Who is the child of Eve that will crush evil forever? We saw it go through the line of Seth down to Noah, and now through the line of Noah's son Shem down to Abram. 
And in Genesis chapter 12, we'll pick up the story of Abram as God will continue to build up his covenant family to bring that promise until ultimately it comes to its fulfillment in Jesus. And this is why when we get to the story of Jesus in the Gospels, in Matthew and Luke, they both trace the line all the way back to see the promises of God all the way from Adam to Jesus. Because God had promised from the very beginning that his plan would not be carried out through great towers, would not be carried out through human ingenuity, but would be carried out through the offspring of the woman, through the line of God's people to whom he would be faithful, to whom he would say, I will be your God and you will be my people. Coming down to the great King Jesus, whose birth we've celebrated, who came to be worshiped by the wise men. And in Jesus, Babel is brought back together. For through his life, through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and now his reign over the whole world, he is bringing back the nations that were dispersed at Babel. And what a beautiful picture it is. Fast this week, in my house, we had a number of people come through my house. And on Tuesday night, we sat around. Uh, my nephew Titus is here. Titus has lived all over the world and knows a lot about a variety of different languages. Santo, who I prayed for earlier, is uh, Italian, preparing to go back to Italy as a missionary, so he knows some about languages. Suzanne is a, a linguist in training to teach people to read. So altogether, this makes a fair amount of nerdiness around the dinner table on Tuesday night. But we were having a fascinating discussion about different languages and where they come from and how they work and how some languages are different from others. All kinds of fascinating things. But as I reflected on that, I realized the beauty of God in giving all of these languages, which stemmed from human disobedience. It was human disobedience that led to languages all over the world. And yet God, instead of smiting that down, Instead of just making us one language forever, he took that disobedience. He made something beautiful out of it. So that in the end, when all the nations come together in Revelation chapter 7, there's a, a multitude from every tribe and nation and tongue and language. All the people coming together, Babel restored, as the people come together from all around the world to give glory to God. For his plan has prevailed over this whole world. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you that your plans are good. We thank you that you call us to obedience. We thank you that in your son Jesus, you make all things right. That you make it possible for us to obey. That you forgive our sins. That you bring us back together to you. To bring all things together in his name. Would you show us more and what, more what that means each day this week? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.